Welcome to episode three of DigBiz. It is a Tech Talk day. Tech Talk, we're going to bring someone on and talk all things nerdy and futuristic, get a little bit outside, and what better way to do that than to get someone who has been in the business for a very long time. It is Joshua Paul, CEO of Neocode Software, who has been in software engineering development, as well as data center modeling, data architecture, and you name it, if it serves data, he has done it. Really excited to have Joshua Paul, CEO of Neocode Software, here on DigBiz. We are here with Joshua Paul, Neocode Software. He has been involved in uh, online business for a very long time, since the late 20th century. Remember the 20th century? And uh, he has been involved in a myriad of new technology, not w- notwithstanding uh, the stuff that we all know today, but going all the way back to early e-commerce, early software developments um, in technologies that don't even exist anymore. Things move forward, so uh, so there's a you know so so much cool new stuff going on uh, that are already affecting people's lives and businesses. But we want to talk about the you know the cool new things going on. We want to talk about new things that are going to affect what's going on, and and almost like the next iteration of the internet that a lot of people I don't think realize is is already being built. Uh, so how have things changed? Why don't we start with that? What, you know, late 20th century to today, what, how have things changed in the real world and people's perception of that? Yeah, so it's the, um, you know, in two words, abdication of responsibility. So, you know, in the 90s, um, if you had a business and you wanted email, you did it yourself. You'd have, you know, hardware, hardware guy, software guy, networking guy, whatever. And uh, internet connection, and you would be responsible for all of those things. You'd hire a company to take care of it. And more and more people are ditching their exchange servers or whatever servers they're using and abdicating responsibility for that and giving it to a cloud provider. And with that, of course, they're um, handing over responsibility for um, their data security. And Google, Microsoft, and you know the other providers, Amazon go down, and they will lose your data, um, and they won't provide phone support, tech support. So I think that's the big, you know, people just forgetting about you know being responsible for doing their own backups. Can I can I can I jump in there for a second? So you said something that I think a lot of people who are listening are, are going to raise an eyebrow. At just for a moment, you said that some of these giant providers with uh, you know enormous dollar signs behind their data centers, you mm-hmm. just said that they go down. Do mm-hmm. they do they go down? Yeah, you can. There's outages that you can see. Um, you know, data centers were fa- you know dead data centers will fail. Like just uh, last week, um, the East Coast suffered cell signal loss just from cables being clipped. Right. Yeah. So it's like even at the physical level, the yeah. data centers can fail. And then there's all the, you know, all the things in between, you know, hardware engineer patches. But I mean, that's the whole point um, of having redundancy. That's why Amazon has U.S. West 1, U.S. West 2, U.S. East. Right. They know they have those points of failure and that's why they're providing them. 
And I would suggest that you would, you know, if you're, you know, you have your email or your application services, that you have your data in multiple places. That's exactly why they have those different zones. And you need to take advantage of them because you can't depend on something that has a single point of failure. All right. So, so you, you've got your application or website and email and, and whatnot, and you, and you, you throw it on one of these providers and, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and yes, we're, we're talking about this concept of, of cloud. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so someone's come up and they've said, uh, Hey, look, I've got this cloud thing. And they say, Oh, look, a cloud thing. So I mm-hmm. throw my, throw my, my, my website and e-commerce and so on onto this cloud thing. And so what, what am I getting or what are what are businesses getting when they they believe that they're putting something onto a cloud thing? And I'm not specifically talking about yeah. you know, these guys, but there's 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 so many now interchangeable euphemisms for cloud. So what happens? Yeah, so I think it's really you know going back to what you had before. So businesses were spending, you know, they'd get you know five thousand, ten thousand dollars worth of hardware on a lease from Dell or Lenovo or whoever, right? So they've got their monthly, you know, hardware costs that they're leasing. And then they'd have a, you know, monthly service technician that would take care of, you know, hardware failures. They'd have to replace hard drives and power supplies when they'd fail. There's all that on-site cost of, you know, maintaining hardware. And when you move it onto the cloud or basically into a hosting company, so they came up with that cloud idea to separate themselves from traditional hosting companies to make people think they were getting something different when they yeah. weren't. They were basically getting what you'd get, but from a you know a big public company. Yeah. Um, so you're getting that on a uh, per minute basis. And the only they can do that, like only the really large companies. I mean, there are more and more, you know, smaller providers now that are able to offer it. But that was their initial, you know, exciting features that you could scale. So when you needed a lot of services, you could scale. And when you needed fewer services, you couldn't scale. So um, if you traditionally had like 100 male users in the winter and only 10 male users in the summer, you'd obviously be able to, you know, throttle your, you know, your monthly payments like that. But most businesses aren't operating like that. You'll have a, you know, your mail server and you can reduce your costs by moving into the cloud because you're taking advantage of um, Amazon's, you know, bulk purchasing. They're like the, you know, Walmart of, you know, online services. So they've got, you know, for example, a 10 gig, I just priced out an Amazon server. Uh, it's got 0.96 terabyte NVM.SSE hard drive, so super fast storage. It's got 10 gig Ethernet connection to the internet. It's got uh, four cores and it's got 30 gigs of RAM. And you can get that for 3,600 US a year. Okay, right. yeah. which is an unbeatable price. It's totally unbelievable. You like just the hardware on that is expensive. Any maintenance, so they take care of all of that. And if you want, you can get that hardware by the minute. So that's the big thing that you're getting is this vast, unlimited access to hardware that you can turn on, and turn off at any time. That's the exciting part. But don't be dazzled by that. You still have to maintain your security. You still have to back that up. At the very least, you have to replicate that to another network. Or offsite data storage. So okay, so boots on the ground then. So aside from the fact that there is enormous scale, which is which is obvious, does it change 
does it change anything for most businesses, small, medium, and even some large businesses? Does it really change anything when we're talking about, again, the fundamentals of what they're looking for? They're looking for uh, you know, general speed and performance, sure. which are pretty available sure. everywhere, and, and, and security. And, and, and then we're talking about redundancy. Oh, it, yeah, totally it does. Because speed is um, a key, like if you want to compete – Speed is like the minimum thing you need to compete on. So, um, you know, Superstore, if you want to go shopping at Loblaws or whatever, you know, some locations will advertise all lanes open on the weekend. And that's all about speed. So if you've got a shopping cart and people are coming, you want to be able to process those shopping cart requests in as near real time as possible, just like the Loblaws or the Superstores. You want to have all the cashiers. And so to deal with those peak loads, okay, or to deal with some of that processing, you can use some of the cloud, some of Google's or Amazon's or Microsoft's resources to help offload those, those workloads during peak performance time. So you can use them for uh, managing image hosting. You could use those for, you know, uh, doing caching or, um, you know, storing any kind of data or doing reverse proxies. So for sure, you know, using the cloud judiciously where we don't actually have any data, right? All your data is still your own, but you can use them to create a better shopping experience for your clients. Right. So what, what I'm hearing, though, is that this is, this is a, a, um, a, a data server appliance or data server uh, service that is an adjunct to a core strategy, not the core strategy itself. Right. Absolutely. It's just a tool. It's a tool. So, so fundamentally, there is the, 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 the first data service hosting system that is uh, just the modern version of what's been around for 20 years and, and then some. Uh, yeah, you built your core shopping site. Yeah, right? the, the, the core shopping about? site, the core application, the core finance, financial service, wh- whatever it is, all that core stuff is still fundamentally the same, but you've now extended it. By yeah, using you use this to compete, right? Right, you're using those resources to compete better and to deliver, you know, as close to, you know, one second response times right. as you're able to get. Right, right. So, so fundamentally, then, when we're when we're talking about, so coming back to the original, con, you know, question around the cloud, mm-hmm. um, the, in and of itself, these services are not the magic place. We are we are using them to augment what we're doing uh, to create our own ma- magical place um, because of their scale. No, you have to have the target, right? Yeah. So one thing that, you know, I, I think one way that the cloud, another way to use the cloud is the other way around. So you have local resources and you're looking to improve your data security. So we recommend, you know, our clients and our servers to, you know, back them up into the cloud. That's one really good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, one awesome thing about, you know, doing that is instead of having people access your servers directly to get access to files, they can now access uh, just the services and resources that you publish through that backup. Let's just say there's a there's a, a pretty decent sized e-commerce operation. How does mm-hmm. that how does that help them? Okay. So, for example, um, 
this might be like a, a reverse sync. This might be going the other way. But let's say, for example, they work with an army of photographers or designers and illustrators. And you don't want for security purposes to give, you know, these third parties direct access to the server to upload images. So instead, you could give them access to a bucket on Amazon's S3. Ah, okay. Yep. And they would put the resources there, and then your server would sync with that directory, right? So you're creating like a little bit of a firewall, and you're also creating a really high-performing service for those illustrators, designers, and they can just put tons of stuff there. So that's, you know, it's a it's a Dropbox, but it's a secure Dropbox that, you know, works with server infrastructure. Right. And you can also, you could actually use that to publish that content. Right. So you could turn that into like uh, the static site. So all, basically you'd be using it for caching, you know, right. as well. Right. Right. And then and there's your speed. Yeah. And there's there's your speed and distribution because um, you can uh, use that to then, um, you know, put it on multiple um, endpoints. Right. Right. So. So closing off, because I want I a couple of other things I want to talk about. So cl closing off the 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 message in uh, data strategy, digital strategies for for businesses, especially ones that are that are growing, and you know they know that they need more, they know that they need speed, and they know that they need to compete in all the areas that you said. Um, they need to be comf you know comfortable and careful with their concept of what cloud means, so-called cloud, um, um, versus the reality of um, redundancy, mm -hmm. um, real-time commerce, assuming that commerce is available, is, 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 is integral to what they're doing. And, and I'm going to assume for, for the sake of this discussion that you know, everyone listening needs to have everything done in real time, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's fintech or some sort of application or, or, or e-commerce and so on. But, but, but they need to understand that cloud doesn't mean redundancy. Cloud doesn't mean 100% uptime. Cloud doesn't mean that nothing can go wrong. Cloud, mean, cloud means that there are, uh, uh, that, you know, there is something out there in terms of an array of services, but you have to use it and you have to develop to use it. And cloud doesn't mean that somebody's looking out for you. Right. Nobody's looking out for you. So back up your stuff and make sure that there is a strategy that is actively put in place. Yeah. So if the cloud turns off, you should be good. Whatever you're doing, you should be operating under the assumption that the cloud is going to be disabled at any time. Right. So you use the cloud to like sync your, you know, SQL server to it. Good choice. Use the cloud to sync your DNS to it. Good choice. Use the cloud to sync your files to it. Good choice, right? Mm -hmm. So it can be either way. So if the cloud is your primary, then you have offsite, you know, assets backing those up from a, you know, from a database standpoint, from a website standpoint, from a DNS standpoint. The entire stack, you should be able to, you know, turn on internally if the cloud, when the cloud is unavailable. Right. You 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 can't give up responsibility because they don't care about you. That's George Carlin for you. <laughs> George Carlin and Next Generation Data Services. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah they don't care them. about you. Yeah, yeah, they don't <laughs> care about you. So, 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 so let's move on to let's move on to the the next generation of 
data services, digital services um, that that's, that's already going on. And um, you know, we are we are now. I, I'm taking that idea of <clears throat> of redundancy further. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we we've as we started, we said you know, there's this hosting company. They've got a server. It's sitting somewhere in some company, and then that's your that's your that's your so-called hosting. And then we've mm-hmm. talked now about gi- giant billion-dollar data centers and and uh, and the cloud. But now we've got a next generation in, of of, la- of layered technologies that can now leverage that even more. So we're now are, are we talking now about like a, a post hosting world or, or are we now just talking about a, a layering of data of, of data services because now we have data warehousing and now we have a layer of data uh, of a virtual machine technology that can now leverage at, at a different level but wasn't really capable before. So the metaphor that I'd like to, you know, think about is, um, you know, the industrial revolution, you know, one of the things that made uh, possible and, you know, drove costs down was uh, standardization of parts or, you know, they did that with, you know, pistols, you know, for um, the army so that you could interchange pieces and, um, you know, still be able to use them. So, you know, what, you know, what we can do with all these like off the shelf pieces I think that, that you're talking about is that we can take the best so we can use this service for DNS. Like we have the stack, this, you know, the stack is the stack. We need to provide DNS services, you know, HTTP services. We need to provide processing services. All these things still need to happen. But what we can do is use the, you know, use the right tool from the right provider. And we're not locked in at any, um, at any step. Um, so if the client needs, uh, their files to be geo-redundant, we're able to do that. If the DNS um, servers need to be, you know, hosted, you know, in the States, we can do that. Um, you know, if we need to run, you know, 100 Python um, servers, you know, we can do that. So we, we're not locked into, you know, providing um, or only buying from a single provider. And we know we're going to be able to uh, interoperate. Right. But the truth is we've been able to do that for for a very long time. The difference is that it's way more economical now. Well, it's economical. Well, one of the reasons for that is um, we have some new software technologies that allow us to virtualize those components. Right. So, you know, a popular example was VMware. And then VMware gave way to Docker, which is a lighter weight. And so we can create, for example, Docker images that we can move between any of these providers. So we can run Docker on Amazon. We can run Docker on Microsoft. We can run Docker on Google, any number of other providers. So we really have true standardization. Right. Right. And, that we and didn't that we didn't have before. But now also we're 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 talking about um, you know backbones and the, the the general speed of uh, of uh, of internet connectivity all around, which has also exploded, such sure. that su- such that this can be done in uh, extremely quickly. Yes. Uh, so so that you know moving a Docker around is is nothing. Yes. Yeah, so we could, you know, one cool example that you couldn't do before would be to have a complete stack 
on Amazon, migrate that complete stack to Google, and then migrate that complete stock to, you know, Microsoft or move it back to wherever you want it right. or some other provider. So that's, um, you know, that's one of the things that we get. Another thing probably I'm sure that we, you know, is going to come up is the whole, you know, blockchain or distributed, you know, storage model and being able to use that to, you know, store data securely and in a distributed way that, you know, allows us to avoid single points of failure and avoid, um, you know, having to be, um, you know, being able to stay secure and encrypted. So are we looking at the beginning of, uh, of, of data services as being uh, truly or near truly um, full uptime? because of this level of redundancy and uh, transportability of data objects? So um, I think from a software standpoint, um, yes, but not from a hardware standpoint. Yeah, so yeah that's, that's what I mean. The hardware can, you know, you can have one entire city nearly blow up. Well, for, by, by the hardware, I really meant more the fiber connections. Okay. And so it's because we're still, uh, we're tied to these, you know, glass strings, you know, in the ground. Um, but we are moving to, you know, Wi-Fi, you know, larger Wi-Fi, more deployed Wi-Fi. Google wants to do those balloons, the blimps yeah. that right. are distributing Wi-Fi. Yeah. Like when, when we get, um, you know, more to that level, then, um, you know, we'll have more of the vision that, you know, that you're talking about. So, um, about being able to move things around, like here, here's an example that would be, that would be cool. Like using the, you know, service transactions. So, you know, one vision would be that, you know, the, the, the servers or the services are always doing auctions and bids between each other to figure out where the best place for them to host themselves is. So we don't actually know where all the different parts of our LAMP stack are. We just know that they're in the best place that they can afford, right? We give them a budget and then they automatically move and relocate themselves to different data centers anywhere they need to be in order to meet the parameters that we've set for them. Right now, uh, when you, you know, spin up an instance, you can't tell that instance um, to move to another hosting provider if it can find a better deal, right? But using blockchain microservices where the um, hosting instance itself has a wallet where it can be able to, like that's, you know, what I'd like to see. Because right. when, uh, when you have that kind of free market for um, the hosting instances themselves to move it around, the market will respond to pressure and create better and newer services. So you're 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 touching. I mean, you, we knew that this was going to come up eventually. So uh, we might as well we might as well just say it. Let's talk about the blockchain. Uh, mm -hmm. We uh, for 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 people who are listening that um, have not heard of the blockchain first. Yes, the blockchain is the is the base level technology that is behind cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. 
and uh, and more recently Bitcoin Cash, although I don't think it's actually gone anywhere yet. But um, uh, but the the fact that the blockchain now exists as a layer. Um, of distributed ledger on top of the internet, it makes this possible. And now you are already ahead, and you're saying, "Well, um, this is this is now you know distri- distributed data, you know distributed mm-hmm. ledger, distri- distributed ledger as uh, as 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 data provisioning." Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So as your e-commerce site um, generates more and more revenue, it's going to be able to afford better and better hosting services for itself, which will in turn lead to itself generating more revenue, right? And then right. it's self-provisioning, right? That's the, you know, that's the future that uh, I see. Right. So now the concept, so, so now we're moving all the way from I have a hosting company to I have a cloud company to I have a, a, a blockchain-based data provisioning service. And, and I have a service that watches the uh, blockchain market for microservices and I'm responding and adding hardware uh, to meet those demands. So right now the the hosting market for GPU, um, you know, services is what it is, but it could, you know, increase in the future or, you know, right now SSD hosting is, you know, all the rage, uh, but the new Ryzen chip from AMD, there could be, you know, this way, the market could signal demand better to hosting companies, to cloud companies, in terms of what uh, those, um, you know, what the instances want, right? Like what your stack wants, which of course is driven by consumer demand. Just like Netflix is able to monitor the viewing uh, profiles of every single person, they know what kinds of shows that they should be producing. Yep. And so we're we're we this way we could get even more right. We're not hearing from the instances themselves, and by allowing them to purchase their own resources on the blockchain, uh, we could do a better job of that. Now this is this is a similar uh, model that is is starting to happen in uh, some in some energy sectors around the world who are starting to realize that because of the nature. Of uh, renewable, specifically wind and, and solar, which um, which are very susceptible to to potential downtime. Wind being up and down, solar, of course, being up and down, uh, and and without a heavy storage medium for energy yet available, everything is in real time. Mm-hmm. And leveraging the blockchain for this is doing exactly what you're saying, except for energy transmission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, and it's saying, I have a lot of energy because it's sunny in Estonia, and well, guess what? It's not sunny in Denmark, so let's send some stuff over there, in a mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's done in a way that the but that humans could never distribute in real time yeah. in, in themselves in real time. And you're and you're talking about you know doing this by GPU, by by SSD, by all sorts of commoditized yeah. di- digital services and distributing that around the world because of uh, because of demand and because of affordability and because of innovation and availability and availability yeah so you know you have an existing provider they add more capacity they lower prices um, you know hosting instances migrate you know costs go up you know maybe there's you know electricity you know, costs go up in a certain area because of the fact that it's, you know, um, dark 
or because there's no wind, and hosting instances can move. Yeah. Now, just to dial back a little bit for people who are just getting used to the idea of the blockchain, how does someone who is you know pretty technical but but not fully wrap their heads around this. How do they grasp why the blockchain, like what it is and, and how it lives on, you know, sort of sitting on top of the internet? How does it change the game? What is it, you know, let, let's sort of paint the picture on why the internet is both wonderful by itself, but also not wonderful by itself and why the blockchain is bringing order to all of that. Uh, I don't know that I could answer all of those questions, but... but Okay, well, we'll get on to the meaning of life after that. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing uh, from my, you know, from my perspective is that with the blockchain, my toaster can order bread, right? So right now, um, in order to make purchases, you have to have cash in your wallet, like, you know, your physical wallet. You have to have a credit card and a PIN code. Okay, or be physically present and be able to sign. Okay, and those are both limitations to having devices or, you know, in the Internet of Things, having things be able to make purchases for you, right? Or be able to, you know, do things for you. So, um, you know, from from my perspective, that's the most interesting thing about the blockchain. So, so let. Mm-hmm. Well, so our, 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 so we're we're talking about the Internet of Trust, you know. At the moment, we're we're you know our our concept of trust on the Internet right now is is still institutionally based. I go to that bank's website because I'm fairly confident that that really is the bank's website, and I'm going to log in because I'm fairly confident that that is the 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 right place and the right way to do it, and so on and so on. So it's still very. Um, it's very 20th century. It's a 21st century version of 20th century approach to institutional credibility and trust. Right. That right. Start and, right. Start and, there. And we're and now we're flipping that over, and we're saying the, the 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 reason that we are we're doing it is because we don't inherently trust the internet. We just trust the institution that is representing itself on the internet. The blockchain is now giving us the ability of saying, no, no, I can trust all sorts of things. Well, I can trust in the uh, immutability of the universe. So the blockchain is immutable. It does not change. Right. So basically when you, you know, get a wallet, when you, what you're doing is you're getting uh, individually unique uh, things that have been mined. So with the, those GPU miners that are creating these prime numbers or whatever math that they're creating, you're getting something unique and immutable. It cannot be changed, right? So there's no you know, question about identity. And when you make a transaction, each transaction is logged everywhere. So everybody has the transaction log of what you know, you've purchased, uh, what money you've uh, what you've bought, what you've sold, all that is in the log and it's immutable. It cannot change. And so that's the foundation of the trust system. So so taking so taking that idea, uh, you know put, putting it in a concrete um, a concrete example, you know one one has been uh, discussed a fair bit because it is a very old one is 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 uh, is property ownership records. So mm-hmm. a lot of people understand the idea that, especially Western civilization, when it started to expand, you know, how did how did wealth 
expand. Well, wealth expanded because of land. In some cases, governments gave land. They said, please come here and do something valuable with this because it's just kind of sitting there. And, 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 and then as time went on, the, 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 the value of this land grew. Why did it grow? It grew, grew because someone said, this parcel of land, X dimension to X dimension, belongs to Mr. Johnson here. And as time went on, Mr. Johnson and then maybe his family and his family's family uh, came to so-called own this land, and, and this land had value. Now, the only reason that we accept this is because this, this, as the story goes, this government gave a piece of paper that gave a piece of paper that gave a piece of paper. And as long as that piece of paper was basically trustable, trustworthy, then it was okay that Mr. Johnson used to have something that was worth $10,000 uh, 150 years ago, and then it was worth $100,000, and then it was worth a million dollars, and so on. Um, but the trust was based on the piece of paper, literally a piece of paper. If that piece, mm-hmm. piece of paper got burned or corrupted by a government official or fire, then all hell breaks loose. So, yeah, we have lots of examples of this. Um, It's a common plot device in Agatha Christie. Um, (laughs) And I have uh, personal experience. Um, You know, someone I've known for a long time uh, left Afghanistan. um, And the uncle of the friend... Um, you know, was able to make deposits to the government official in Kabul and was able to change those documents. There you go. So, you know, when there's, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. And with the blockchain, it can't happen. Right. Your, your wallet can be stolen. So just like cash can be stolen, the wallet can be stolen. So you have to back it up. Right. If your if your computer gets stolen and you haven't encrypted it and it's available, then your money is you know gone forever. Your you know your transaction log is gone. So, but it can't be changed. It can't be forged. It can't be falsified. And it can't be taken from you. I mean, somebody could point a gun at your head and force you to give it to them. Yeah. Like any property. Yeah. Yeah. But even the but even the the. Uh, uh, to use your example about being changed, the the, the, the nature of the blockchain itself, is, it, it has a degree of self-monitoring accountability as well. If someone tries to mess with a record, uh, the distributed nature of the ledger can also notice that. Yeah, well, it just won't, it just won't show up. You can just create a new one. Right. You can, you, you know, using your... Yeah, you can create a new wallet using your ID, and you'll so, see the actual transactions. Right. So now, now we're talking. We're talking about a, you know a combination. You were you you made the reference of you know government tampering. Yeah. So now we're talking about the you know not just internet of trust, but internet of accountability. Mm-hmm. So now, so so Estonia, for example, has has gone a great deal in leapfrogging technology in sort of post-Soviet Eastern Europe. Uh, to saying, well, we don't have we don't have a, a a government process to speak of because it was sort of decimated by a few decades of this. So if we're going to do this, let's do it right and let's do it in a modern way. And they've leapfrogged a lot of Western society by saying, well, we're just going to build this in the blockchain or or evolve it into the blockchain as time goes. And and now we're building an accountability to to all sorts of process in life, so that so that this 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 government. Um, uh, you know, sort of rewriting of reality uh, over time is going to be far less 
uh, less likely to be be possible. How is Estonia using it? Uh, in 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 uh, healthcare records, they're, um, they're they're yeah they're moving it into a, a variety of areas. Um, you know who who uh, has a fantastic? I would recommend you you read this anyone. D- uh, Donald uh, Tapscott mm-hmm. uh, has uh, written a fantastic. Uh, we have that book in the office. Yeah. Him and his, I think it's his son. It's his son, yeah, Al, uh, Alex. Yeah. And Blockchain Revolution mm-hmm. is uh, it's a fantastic read and talks all sorts of, uh, about all sorts of uh, you know, government instances of, uh, of use cases of the, of the blockchain. But, but um, so, so we're, you know, we're, we're, we've, we've talked so – people have heard so much about you know, Bitcoin and, and uh, the, the – um, the ability to conduct transactions without a bank, which is uh, already an interesting thing, but there's also financial services. Even, even if we stick with the existing financial uh, systems that are out there, there are already major banks that are conducting tests in the blockchain, like mm-hmm. CIBC, for example. And and even if they don't want to play with Bitcoin directly, they can still d- use regular monetary process, um, but move them into the blockchain and leave out the old-fashioned methods of doing it, which we kind of stuck to. We've, we're still using so much 20th century methodology, and they're saying, well, this is stupid. Why don't we, we need an accountable way of doing this electronically with other banks? How do we do that? And so we, we already know the banks are even doing it too. So, yeah, the you know companies that have survived for hundreds of years, um, that you know, one way of thinking of that is that they haven't died So, you know, a lot of um, there's been research done on, you know, how companies survive and how they grow and how they become great. And, you know, some of those studies, you know, just look at how companies have avoided failure. So, you know, not adopting the blockchain immediately before it becomes, you know, obvious if it's going to be a success or not. I think that's a pretty good strategy for surviving another hundred years. So they can study it and study it and study it, but they're not going to want to take the arrows. You know, where I could see it uh, coming up is in, um, you know, subprime lending or, you know, you know, car loans, that kind of thing. Um, but only if there's an advantage to the consumer or only if there's an advantage to the lender. So how could the lender, you know, help the unbanked? So we did a couple of years ago, we worked with a company in Calgary that did white label ATMs. And so their mantra was, you know, helping the unbanked. And by helping, I mean charging them $5 transaction fees. <laughs> right? So, but it's like if you don't have access to banking any other way, this, the, the blockchain in that area could be, you know, handy because there's no other, you know, no other way to do that. So, you know, you want a car, you can't get credit, you don't have a loan. Um, how could the blockchain help you? I have no idea. But it's like those um, – it could be those financial institutions that are able to create, um, you know, opportunities for um, banking that the big banks will later follow. Well, there are, there are already examples of, 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 of industries and this is, this, is a, a, you know, this is a leaping off point potential for the blockchain just like in the early days of the internet i mean people were sort of looking at uh, uh, at email and, and sort of scratching their heads and saying you know does it cost me long distance to send an email to montreal 
And that was that was a real question that someone asked me once. And and I I I I laughed not because I thought that the person was dumb, but I laughed because at the at the time because there was such a paradigm shift that they didn't wrap their head around it. It was just the, it was just the nature of society going, geez, this whole email thing. I I I wonder how it relates to the phone system, where mm-hmm. you, pick, uh, you you pay. and 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 it's in a similar way. Are you know when and how are we going to see these kinds of 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 paradigms get challenged and shifted in the same way? So, for example, we have, there's 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 already the the, uh, the possibility of um, distributed storage. Like of yes, uh, yeah. Distributed storage already exists now. There is a blockchain application that you can um, not only can you have to pay to have your data stored, but you can you can earn money off of it by having it stored on your own computer. By but looking and saying, well, look, I've got these terabytes of storage. I'm only using ten percent of it right now, so I'm going to have the blockchain storage system, and I'm going to participate in it, and I am now going to be part of the solution and even make some money. Yes, yeah. So this is the um, you know when we were talking earlier about. You know, how does, you know, having all this infrastructure change things? How is it a game changer? And, you know, we talked about the interchangeability of parts. So this is now, you know, widely available. So at the file storage level, so in your application stack, you have DNS, you have HTTPS, but finally you have, and you have your SQL storage, but then you have your file storage. So you could use for some of your, uh, you know, SQL storage for some of your database storage, you can use like the file system like this to store transaction ledgers. So for example, if you were a payday loan uh, company, uh, you could store uh, client encrypted and safe and secure and distributed client payday loan information right. or their you know car loan information all, all this way. And then the rest of your application stack would you know connect with one of these many instances because ideally it would be distributed over hundreds of nodes for excellent safety and security. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so there's going to be you know, so much opportunity for 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 leveraging this kind of you know dis- distributed ledger capability uh, in in ways that are. You know, they're 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 either not ready or they're just being conceived right now, and we're 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 at and we're at a new ground zero, and 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 this is this is going to affect people at a personal level and at a business level. So one one thing that makes that possible is the smartphone. The smartphone is the wallet, right? And so um, even the. Uh, most economically disadvantaged in Canada. So my postal code, Victor 6 Bravo 6 Echo 3, you know, it, it may not be the poorest postal code in Canada, but it's in the top 10. And the most economically disadvantaged people have smartphones. Not all yeah. of them, but many of them do. And so they are able to, to participate in the blockchain. Yeah. For example, uh, payday loans or, you know, any number of things that use the blockchain or, for transactions. Or, or, or even e-commerce. I mean, there's, 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 there's blockchain-based e-commerce. And you have someone in, 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 in Africa talking about, uh, you, know, uh, you know, emerging 
emerging economies, Africa has already demonstrated they've leapfrogged traditional uh, um, telephone networks. They just never did the the copper. So what do they do? They leapfrogged onto on, onto cell phones. So cell phones, you're right. Not everyone has one yet, but it has now become a commoditized technology where you're going to be able to buy one for uh, you know for ten dollars at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not only can those people um, um, participate in, in, as you said, payday loans and these kind, this kind of uh, a part of the economy, but also in participating in using um, blockchain-based e-commerce. If they have mm-hmm. things to sell or if they have music to sell or you know, whatever, like just mm-hmm. par- participate in any level. Why? Because they can be trusted and they can trust. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, not, that's yeah. not inherent. Just because you have the blockchain doesn't mean you're, trust- you're trustworthy. But there are there are far more mechanisms now than they the, the, the move. Well, your transactions are trusted. Your the transactions value, are trusted. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. So the value, what you say you have, is what you say you have. Right. And so I just I just did some quick uh, googling here, and there's uh, the concept of Bitcoin lending, which is distributed lending. So uh, multiple um, people will loan a single person uh, some money and get and can get paid back. And that's already there. That's already there. Yeah. And why am I not surprised? Yeah. So, you know, they still have to go through the process of being, you know, vetted and are they a good um, investment? What's their risk profile? All that kind of stuff. But we can already do distributed lending. And that was that much harder to do. Um, in, I mean, it did exist. So there were websites where you could, you know, loan real money and yeah. do it that way. But now with Bitcoin real money, it's just that much easier to contribute Bitcoins into a wallet and then get paid back plus interest. Right. Right. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty, inevitable. That's pretty amazing. It's inevitable. It's, it's, it's amazing yeah. and inevitable. And it's, it's going to be a pretty interesting, I, I was going to say five years, but five years is a long time now. It's so, so what about the future of banks? You know, what's the yeah. role of, you know, banks in personal finance? So for corporate finance, you know, TELUS isn't going to go to the Bitcoin lenders and say, hey, I need, you know, $300 million to build the next 5G wireless network across Canada, right? So they're going to still do bonds, uh, for you know that kind of stuff, and in terms of personal finance, on the other hand, like where will you know home loans? So you need six hundred thousand dollars to buy, you know, a studio apartment in Vancouver. Yeah, right. Yeah, really, are you yeah. are you going to get that from Bitcoin lenders? You know, probably not. Um, that might be you know that might be hard to imagine, but you can see it happening in the future. Yeah. So, uh, but a lot of transactions, okay, have pretty high transaction costs for vendors, for merchants. So when you're selling, you know, something for five bucks and somebody comes in with a credit card and Visa wants to take three and a half percent, that could be an opportunity for a Bitcoin transaction where we have no transaction fees. So the ability to use like an Apple Pay or a Samsung Pay or any of those kinds of things where, you know, or the equivalent like a Bitcoin app where vendors, you know, home, you know, basically people where you you walk up point of sale um, and they're able to reduce, eliminate their transaction costs. That would be a big boon for small business. 
and and it, and it's going to put pressure on the incumbents. It's going to be put put pressure on on major lend, uh, institutions. Well, what it should do, I think, is incent merchants to discount purchases by one percent. Also, discount purchases. Yeah. yeah. So it unfortunately that violates their you know visa and user license agreement. <laughs> So you know this already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. So, but what what they could do, what stores could do, is they could give you a free gift. You know, like you know, have a candy or something. Sure. But it, it's those little corner stores or the supermarkets, you know, that do huge volume where the three and a half percent is real money. Right. It's like you know, if they do ten thousand dollars a day, three and a half percent isn't nothing to sneeze at. So. So. And that costs are passed on to the end user. Sure. Like we're paying for it. So we're at we're at extremely interesting. I mean, I can't believe we're already saying this, but we're at extremely interesting next generation now. We're we're into what what uh, you know. It could be argued as to how many generations in because we're we're going back to the '60s if you really go far enough. Mm. But we're we're at a, at one more level of of maturity where we're saying it's uh, it, it it's not really the internet now. It's it's now beyond that. Mm. And, 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 you know, we've, we've touched on, 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 on accountability, on internet of value, uh, and, and, and how that affects things, things like the internet of things. And, and there's, there's so much that, that, that businesses and people are, they're going to be using in a way that they just don't realize is, 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 is already happening. Mm-hmm. And happening somewhere else. Happening, happening somewhere else, and but it, it, it it's it's going to start happening to them already. I mean, it's 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 happened to them already. You know, our things like um, near field technology with tap technology. Mm. I mean, these things are now happening because at an institutional level, they've been sort of been pushing forward. Well, that's but, for security. So they yeah. what they're trying to do with that is eliminate chargebacks. Sure. Right. It's it's and eliminate merchant fraud. So how many times has Visa called you and said, hey? We're um, calling, did you recognize this, this, this purchase? And it's like, well, no, I don't recognize that one. And I don't, oh, well, it turns out that the cashier stole your PIN number. Yep. They won't tell you that, but that's what happened. Oh, yeah. So they're being driven by... You know those chargebacks. Absolutely, but but I'm 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 now saying that we're we're going now beyond that, right? So we know that these are institutional level uh, technology changes, fact, yep. changes. But but now we are we are doing things um, to a degree outside of the institutional level, and in that bank or or you know a, a number of large banks, they are not inherently behind this. No, these technologies no. are now happening around them, and they're saying, huh, if this gets to a certain level. Um, I'm, I'm, my entire model is going to be visas model, visa modeled, uh, bank X, bank Y, uh, financial lender X. And we've already seen the rise of, 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 uh, financial lenders, fintech lenders who mm. have, um, who are leveraging the auto, the uh, automation of credit checks and so forth to put the power of, 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 of lending into a relatively small team and do yeah, it internationally. Because, because if you see like, you know, visas core, existence like its core mission statement okay is backstopping transactions okay they say to the merchant i guarantee you you'll get your money and they say to the um, borrower right i guarantee not to charge you for something you didn't buy right and the blockchain removes all that right that's no longer a competitive advantage right right 
So if you had blockchain lending and you have the blockchain, Visa's raison d'etre is moot. That's right. And, and, and add to that especially, uh, which is a, a, a big issue with merchants especially these days, mm-hmm. is, is uh, chargeback fraud. So that's, their, that's their, their part, and that comes right back to the Internet of Trust and accountability. Yeah. Is if they if, if if the merchants don't know, uh, it can't be you know reasonably comfortable with the nature of the transaction. Then there's then then you have a rise to a way of dealing with that, and that that flies right in the face of what you just said. Yeah, is or it's one yeah. of the things that do. Yeah. So, uh, so we could so, talk for so, like another hour about this. <laughs> so I just wanted to say like yeah. so one thing there was a. Um, I think it was like a, a Google fellow, or maybe he was a Cisco fellow. Anyway, some you know Fortune 500 type uh, Indian guy, uh, and he said uh, to grow these large industries, these large companies have to do what's called glocalization. That's the word, glocalization. <laughs> and what they're guy. doing is they're outsourcing innovation to what we typically know as the third world, right? Just like. Estonia perhaps is leading um, the world in terms of electronic health records. So, for example, there's, you know, cell phone payment systems that are working in Africa. So I'd like to throw the challenge out to somebody, you know, find out is there, you know, a country or a city or somewhere in the world where, you know, payments between um, consumers and, you know, vendors like market stall or, uh, corner store, you know, owners is happening already, like right now, um, where and where Visa doesn't exist because you know in Korea ten years ago, they didn't have credit cards. Like I've seen the growth and you know explosion of credit cards every time I visited South Korea. Right. Like when I went there twelve years ago, they didn't have them. They didn't have mortgages. I mean, sure, there might have been like five percent or ten percent, but. You know, now they have credit card problems, right? Now they have, you know, students that have overloaded on debt. They didn't have that before. Yeah. So there is an emerging market somewhere that's just going to skip credit cards. Right. That's very, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting example. Yeah. How do we I'd leapfrog like to know about credit? That. Leapfrog credit cards. Leapfrog yeah. institutional credit. Yeah, like lots of people, you know, leapfrog landline telephones. Well, somebody's going to leapfrog this, so... You know, one of the listeners, contact Jason and let's find out about it. <laughs> I love it. Excellent. So, uh, wow. Uh, we've, as, as always, when, whenever, whenever I chat with Joshua, we talk about saving the world from itself. And maybe our next, maybe our next chat, we'll talk about nuclear fusion and uh, something like that. Wind power. And it's wind. nuclear fusion and wind power. Yep. Yeah. 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 Vertical. Yeah, vertical. Um, but this has uh, been fantastic having uh, having you here on DigBiz, uh, Mr. Joshua Paul. I've been disc- uh, we've been chatting, taking the world into the next generation of uh, uh, of online tools, accountability, and trust. And uh, Joshua again is the CEO of Neocode Software, and it's been uh, been amazing having you on uh, DigBiz. We'll have you again on. It, it, it's there's too much to talk about. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Thanks, Joshua. Thank you.